Well, good morning, North Shore. Good to see you. Uh, good to have you online. I love you. Glad that you are joining us. Uh, I want to mention a couple things uh, before I get started with the message this morning. Uh, one is our Israel trip. Um, many of you know that uh, 49 of us just returned from the Holy Land uh, last week. And I would say this, and I had lots of conversations uh, even this morning and through the week. It was a life-changing trip. Amazing. You can see us there on uh, Mount of Olives looking over the, uh, the Temple Mount, the uh, Dome of the Rock there. Uh, amazing trip. And, you know, one of the highlights, and there's many of them, is we are on the Mount of Beatitudes. And that's where Jesus gave his longest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Well, Jeff Reed actually recited the entire Sermon on the Mount uh, there. And so we got just for 20 minutes here, someone recite that entire uh, sermon. It was powerful. Uh, but again, there's many other powerful moments. And so I want to let you know, if you have a bulletin on the back side of the bulletin, there's a QR code. Um, if you're interested in the next trip we're going to do, and uh, Lisa Jacobs, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for this. I know it. I love it. Uh, I feel like a rebel sometimes. Um, is this, is we go every other year, but even this morning, uh, but throughout the week, uh, so many of you have been talking to me, say, we want to go, we want to go, that I, I'm not sure the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to go next year again. Right? And so if you sign up for that group, I will send out an email, Lisa will, uh, to find out if God is actually moving for us to go next year again. Um, again, um, and you can talk. Raise your hand if you went on the trip this year. Uh, some of you are there. You can see them over here right there. Uh, you can talk to them. Uh, how many of you have ever gone on the trip to Israel, North Shore? Look at a lot of those hands, okay? Talk to one of them, and you're going to find out what I'm telling you, that it's life-changing and powerful. And something just um, as your friend, as your pastor, um, I think every Christian should try to go once in their lifetime. It's that meaningful, okay? Uh, the second thing I want to mention is, um, how many of you have watched this new movie called Jesus Revolution? It's in there. Have you gone to that? Okay, make sure you go to that. Um, you know, it's a story of the Calvary Chapel um, church, uh, but really in this you know, late 60s, early 70s, you know, kind of the Jesus revolution, if you would. And uh, uh, Sandy and I went last night, and two things stood out to me. Uh, one thing, uh, we just wept. Anytime I heard the gospel being proclaimed, it's just, you know, amazing. Just, it never gets old, does it? The beautiful story of Jesus. Um, but the second thing, as I was watching, you know, how the Holy Spirit works to us is for us being inviters, inviting people. Uh, it's the most powerful way the gospel is transferred is inviting people with you. So I want to encourage you that you begin to pray, and who does God have you to invite? You know, Pat mentioned we have, you know, Holy Week and extravaganza, some kind of event. Sometimes that's the safest thing. Um, sometimes it's your uh, life group. Sometimes it's here to church. Whatever it is, to your house for coffee as a believer, I want to encourage us to get into the, the spirit of invitation. Always looking for opportunity. It's so easy to do our faith by ourselves and just get, you know, going down that lane. But God wants us to use us to change the world with his powerful gospel, right? So I want to encourage you to be inviter. All right, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, the ushers will get it to you. Uh, and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 19, and we are going to continue our series. I would like to pray. If you need a Bible, keep your eyes open, and, um, and they'll get a Bible to you. But let me pray over you. Father God, we love you. 
We trust your word. It is powerful. So I pray that your word of God would transform and change my heart, each person who's listening's heart today, uh, in whatever way you want, that we would not leave the same from our encounter with you. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so we are continuing our series, The Life of David, um, A Passionate Pursuit of God. What we hope to do is to learn from what the Bible describes is the man after God's own heart, Acts 13, 22, from David, to learn how to have a passionate pursuit of God. And as we learn from that, there is a hard truth that we're going to have to understand. Uh, Jesus warns us about this hard truth in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says this, in this world, you will have many troubles, right? There he is talking about giving the Holy Spirit, but he is saying this, is, uh, you're going to have trouble. And I would imagine I'm talking to people and you are hearing from somebody that, yeah, in this world, I've had many troubles. I know I'm going to have many troubles, and I know you've had many troubles, and you'll have many troubles. Why would Jesus warn us of this hard truth? Because here's trouble derails people's faith. You know those people, right? Man, they say, it's just life's too hard, and they step away from their faith. I've seen it destroy people's faith. I don't believe in God anymore. I ask why, because this, whatever the situation is, this didn't work out. I prayed for healing for the, these people. They were not healed, you know, uh, and again, I can start listing things, but I don't want to bring up too painful memories, but you can fill in the blanks, right? You can fill in the blank. Now, David, when we look at a man after God's own heart, he's had many troubles, well, in this little season, we're looking at his life right now. <clears throat> his trouble has a name. King Saul, right? King Saul. Now, King Saul, right, when we first meet David in our series, he is anointed as a future king of Israel. And then he goes out and he has this great victory over Goliath, right? A real famous Bible story. Well, after that, it tells us in 1 Samuel 18, verses 8 and 9, all of Israel is just celebrating. David becomes a hero. They actually start singing songs about him. In 1 Samuel 18, verses 8 and 9, what Saul does about David, he says, uh, he gets angry, he gets jealous. And from that point out, his eyes are toward David, meaning he is set to kill him. His jealousy rages so intense. So what does David need in this season? What do we need in our times of trouble? We need support. We need support in our pursuit of God. And we're going to see in chapters 19 and 20 uh, an introduction to some support for David in his pursuit of God. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 when it just talks about the support that we need. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. 
Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This truth that we need support in our pursuit is confirmed in a study I read from Mayo Clinic. It put out a study and the findings of these studies of when it looked at people and the advantage of having friends, having a support system. Listen to this. It says, having a support system decreases a person's stress, anxiety, and depression. It decreases their loneliness, their blood pressure, and fatigue. It also decreases the rate of cancer and heart disease. Having support increases a person's resources, increases happiness and optimism, increases increases a person's sense of purpose and belonging. Having a support system increases our perseverance in troubled times. Basically, it increases our fight in troubled times. A support system increases the likelihood of making healthier choices in all aspects of life. There's a big list of healthy choices people with support system more likely make. Support increases our overall health and longevity. I mean, simply put, when you have a support system, you live longer. When you have friends, you live longer. So we want to look at David. These supports are critical, vital to his pursuit with God, and they're vital for ours as well. So we're going to look at his first support, and that is David's friend, Jonathan. Uh, and so look at verses, or uh, chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read these, and we'll talk about it. 1 Samuel 19, verses 1 through 3. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. So what's going on here is, um, you know, Jonathan, who you were introduced to last week, um, has a soul-level friendship with David. Um, Pat and, and Ben did a great job of talking about that. You know, a lot of uh, misconceptions and misinterpretations of scriptures around this relationship. Um, uh, but it is a beautiful, deep intimate, soul-level friendship to such a level and understanding that Jonathan makes a covenant with David. In the story you remember last week that Pat talked about, he uh, dropped all of his armor and basically said, you are the prince of Egypt, or Israel, thinking about the movie title, the, the prince of Israel. I mean, you are doing God's work. I see this. I know it. You should do this. You should be the next in line. And so what he did with that deep friendship 
he stepped in to support him. Because as I already stated, after the Goliath and, and another victory battle, Saul was mad and jealous, and he was set out to kill David. So Jonathan says, David, you go in the field here. I'm going to talk to my dad. I'm going to intervene for you. And he talks to Saul to find out where his heart is, even talks him into not killing David. Wouldn't be right. Now, you have to understand what's happening here. Okay? Finding yourself not aligned or in subordination to the king, the penalty was death. Right? If you look in Jesus' time, uh, Herod the Great. Remember Herod the Great? Um, Herod the Great, because he feared, he was wrong, that his wife might not be aligned with him, and his sons had him murdered. That was common in the kingdom in this time. So Jonathan going to his dad was gambling his very life. But he intervened. And he found, okay, good. Uh, got him talking to not killing you. Well, David goes out and the Lord was with him. And he kept having military victories, fighting for Saul and his army. And Saul heard about it and got enraged. David went to him. So Jonathan, he's, he's, he's mad, he's gonna kill me. So Jonathan intervenes again. He says, okay, you go hide in the field again. And at the new moon, uh, a meal, um, don't come to it. And I'm going to see where he's at, what he's thinking. And he sets up the signal system, right? I'm going to go out and I'm going to shoot arrows. If I shoot him far, that's going to be a signal to you um, that you better run. He's after you. If I shoot him near, then you go ahead and come, okay? And he uses a little boy to fetch the arrows. Well, he finds out that Saul is Saul. King Saul wants to kill him. So he goes out. Uh, sends a little boy out. Jonathan fires the arrows to signal to David, yes, he wants to kill you. What we see here and what we learn from this thing is how important friendship is in supporting us. In chapter 20, verse 13, uh, you can flip over to that because that's the, the arrow scene if I just describe to you what Jonathan says to David is he is going to tell him, he goes, right in the middle of this, whatever my dad's uh, disposition is, I want you to know I am going to support your pursuit of God. Remember, they're fighting in the Lord's army for Israel. Not everyone's focused on God in this, but that is what this represents. And Jonathan knows it and understands. And here's what he says to David. But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more if I do not disclose it to you and send you away. So if I don't properly warn you, may I be, find death too. And here's his, his, his support of his pursuit. That you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. May you go to the throne, rise to the throne. And I want to support that every way, even if it costs me my life. He spurs him on to go and do what God has him to do. He's a great friend. Scripture teaches us about friendship and the importance of friendship. The phrase a lot of times is one another. 
In the New Testament, that phrase is found over a hundred times. A command, a call for us to one another, to be friends, to be deep friends in the journey, to help each other in our pursuit of God. Now here's a sad truth. Most adults don't have a good friend. You know, many of you know I served a lot of years as a youth pastor, and that puts you in a lot of counseling situations with young people. I cannot tell you how often I hear my, friend, my family, my parents have no friends. My dad has zero friends. Most of us, you know, because I'm, I'm talking to mostly adults, don't have any deep friends, soul-level friends. We need them. They're part of God's plan for us. So I want to give us some, some attributes of a soul-level friend that we see so that hopefully we know how to look for it. We can be that friend. Because remember, if you want a soul-level friend, how do you get one? By being that kind of friend. When you're that kind of friend, it'll attract that kind of commitment. There's an image that's going to pop up here, and I'm just going to walk through it just a little bit. Some attributes of that soul-level friend. First of all is love. Deep affection, no matter what. Proverbs 17, 17 tells us a friend loves at all times. It's deep love. Second is alignment. 2 Corinthians 6.14 tells us that we should not be unequally yoked with another person. What that means is the teaching, the value, where the heart is going, the direction need to be the same. Jonathan and David were headed in the same direction. Soul level friend is honest. Many Proverbs talk about, I love Proverbs 27.9, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Proverbs also says, or iron sharpens iron, or iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, meaning this iron coming against each other, the opposite direction, giving wise counsel. A true friend will be honest with you. That's what Jonathan committed to David. I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you the hard truth, truth that you don't maybe want to hear but you need to out of love. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for your spiritual growth. Action. I already read Ecclesiastes 4.9. Um, a true friend, a soul-level friend will serve you. They'll show up for you. When you're in need, that friend's there. People ask, you say, well, I don't know if I have that friend. Okay, when's the last time you were in need? Who was there? That's your soul-level friend, right? Who will show up for you? They're loyal. They're in it for the long haul. It says this in Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That is our pursuit, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Not just an acquaintance, right? Interesting uh, finding is to make an acquaintance it takes 80 hours of time together. Right? And it's specific time. A lot of times work, you know, we'll there. But to make a good friend, it takes 200 hours. How many hours do you think it takes to make a soul level friend? A lot. It has to be a loyalty, it has to be commitment, there has to be time, right? 
You have to make space in your life. One of the most precious commodities we have is time, isn't it? Probably the one thing I watch people uh, the most reluctant to give up. But if you don't, then you won't, right? Because friendship is only built by time, only way. So they're loyal, also they're full of grace. Proverbs 17.9, and, and I've got a different translation. It's called the easy-to-read translation because it, it says it well. Forgive someone, and you will strengthen your friendship. Keep reminding them, and you will destroy it. What a friend does, a soul-level friend, is does what Jesus did to them. To give you grace. Give you forgiveness. How often? Over and over and over. Because you will never know a person, truly know them, until they know they're safe with you. If they have to walk on eggshells around you, you'll never know them. You have to be full of grace. So let me ask you a question. Do you have a friend like this? Do you have a soul-level friend? It's important to your spiritual journey. Are you a friend like this? Are you a friend like this to somebody? It's important for their journey. So we're going to move on and look at another support for David in his pursuit. And that's his wife. Now, this is Michael is the America way to say it, right? If you throw a little Hebrew in there, you got to, the C-H is hard. It's Michael. I've seen Miha. I've seen Michelle. Uh, there's 134 ways to pronounce this. So we're all going to agree to do the American way. Michael, okay? And you've probably heard it many times that way. So his wife, Michael, in 1 Samuel 19, verses 11 through 17, let's look at this support she gives him. Now Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him. This is after David had victory again. His jealousy flares up. Again, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael left David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair uh, as its head and covered it with clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent the messenger to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers, and I love this word messengers. These aren't messengers, okay? <laughs> Just so you know, <laughs> these are assassins, okay? Um, came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michael did what most of us would do. She lied. And Michael answered, Saul said to me, or he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Saying that David threatened her life. So again, what's happened here, Saul's angry. Uh, Michael, David's wife, who you learned last week, right, was uh, given to him in marriage. She loved David. It was actually a, a trap for Saul, right, trying to kill David through putting him in military service. Uh, didn't work. Uh, it got worse because David succeeded, and now he's really mad. So uh, Michael helps him escape. David runs off right, to his house. 
And she does this. Um, don't raise your hand here, just in case your parents are in the room. How many of you have ever done the sneak out of the house trick? Right? This is the stuff the bad. You kind of recognize this trick, right? It's biblical, right? You, you get your warning. You. Stuff that bed up. So if someone peeked in to check on the room, guess what? Oh, they're sleeping. Shh. Right? Um, so uh, totally did the, uh, the trick and uh, let him out so he can get away. She actually supported him. She loved him. She knew that David was on mission for God. And she actually broke loyalty with her dad, her king. Said, God's doing something through this man, David. I'm going to support him. Now, for some of you, God has chose to put you in a marriage. Decided you uh, weren't safe to be left alone. That's what I take, right? <laughs> so, uh, or better said, that I want to do something to you that will take two of you. I want two of you to accomplish this mission, whatever it is. Genesis 2, uh, verse 18 God says this, it's not good for a man to be alone, but I'll give him a helper that's fit. That's when God gave Eve to Adam, right? The first marriage. So God calls some of us together. And I want to take a moment, as we look at David's support system and his wife, Michael, how important uh, it is if you're married that your support, your marriage, represents a spiritual support and not just a business partnership. You with me? Because it can grow that over years, right? The friendship, the spiritual input dissolves, and all of a sudden it's a, it's a, it's a business deal. Too expensive to get a divorce? We just keep trudging on. So there's an opportunity uh, for those that are called uh, into a marriage. Now, the Hebrew word used for helper is ezer, E-Z-E-R. And uh, sometimes we really confuse this word, but uh, what it represents is the helper, the Hebrew word Ezer, partner, right? It's a partner for this journey. And third, it represents a warrior, a fellow warrior that contends alongside you. A lot of times it speaks of God and what he does for us, comes alongside us and contends for us. Same word Ezer for wife or helper is a fellow warrior that comes alongside you and contends with you, supports you in the battle. Now, I am just blessed. 34 years I've been married to Sandy, right? I'm coming up on 34 years, and she is my absolute number one support. My number one uh, critic, uh, beautifully, honorably, right? I don't say that negatively, but she's the one to say that, you know, that kind of stunt. Scott, you are inappropriate there, right? You probably shouldn't wear that. That's typically every morning, right? Um, <laughs> uh, but she's my biggest fan. She's the first one, you know, to, to high-five me. Good job. God did this. Uh, she's the one uh, in every crowd I look for because I know she's my God-given support, my helper, my partner, the warrior alongside me. Another uh, Hebrew word for wife, um, Alep, and that means friend, best friend. She's my best friend, right? And she supports me in my spiritual journey. I want to encourage you, if God has called you into a marriage, that it not be a business deal. But it's truly what God wants to be is a spiritual support for you in your pursuit for God. 
that it fans the flame for your passion for who Jesus Christ is and what he's doing in your life, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in both of you, collectively. Versus just set back on your heels and say, we're in this for the long haul as two people existing in the same spot. God wants far more. He wanted more for David. He used his wife to help him as a support in his pursuit. And the last support I want to mention um, is if you look at verse 17 and 19, and it's David's pastor. David's pastor, Samuel. And I'll talk more about it in just a second. Let's read it. Verse 17. Start at verse 18, excuse me. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel of Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went to live in Naoth. And it was told, and Naoth is just a little town uh, either within or just on the outside of Ramah. Um, and, he, and it was told Saul, behold, David is in Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul. And they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Take matters into his own hands, verse 22. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in CQ. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they are in Naoth and Ramah. And he went there to Naoth, to Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also as he went. And he prophesied until he came to Ramah. So what's going on here is uh, things are heating up, right? Um, Saul's mad. He's acting more aggressive. And David flees. Michael helps him escape. And where does he go? He goes to his pastor, Samuel, right? And remember, Samuel, what Scripture calls, was the final judge. And a judge in Scripture had a really dynamic role. It was kind of military leader. It was kind of pastor. Uh, it was kind of priest. It was just, it's just kind of hybrid position at the time uh, in the tribal times of Israel. So he goes back to his pastor, his spiritual leader. And what he does is he's returning to the man he knows is going to speak God's word into him. Now, we do not see these two together since Samuel anointed young David, called him out of the field as a shepherd boy. Remember that? And what David knew from that experience is that Samuel would speak the word of God because he remembered Samuel talking this is not who God says is it. This isn't who God is, says it is. He was listening and professing God's word. He followed God's will. All through David's brothers, nope, nope, it's, we're only gonna do what God says and we're gonna follow that. And then he experienced God when he was with Samuel. Powerful way. The Holy Spirit came on him, uh, filled him. Kind of a unique thing in the Old Testament. He was indwelt with the Holy Spirit from that day forward. And so he returned back to the Word of God. It was a dry time 
1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, the word of God was not spoken much, only a pocket of people. So David went to the person he remembers, will speak God to him, will give him truth, and there's something powerful. Remember a time when you experienced God powerfully. Look back. A lot of times we long for that, don't we? Whether it's somebody who led us into this powerful moment. You know, something powerful happened. God had a word for us. I was thinking about this point, and I was remembering a, a, a story I got the privilege to be a part of. Um, young Lindsay uh, was in my, well, on my softball team, but she came to my summer camp as a youth pastor. Came from what we would probably classify as a hippie home. So um, very, very spiritual, but no God, definitely not Jesus, anti that. Well, we got this opportunity at camp through the week, and we're sitting in these uh, lawn chairs at the beach. There's just all this activity going on all around us, and we're just sitting there like we're the only two people in the world. I'm just giving her the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we give to this moment. Um, and I said, you know, she says, I want that. You know, you believe? Yes, I believe. And I said, pray. She says, I don't know how. I said, you just talk to him. And this powerful, beautiful moment, this young girl just weeping before Jesus, calling him into her life. Just powerful. Well, we would go to our camps and we'd buy cases of Bibles, you know, and just give out, you know. So, you know, I gave her one of the Bibles from the the case we had, uh, told her to read some different things. And, um, well, Lindsay, of course, the next year graduates high school, goes on. I didn't hear from her for years. I get a call I don't know, five years later. Um, she says, hi, uh, Scott, this is Lindsay. Oh, Lindsay, how are you doing? I'm you know, ready to talk in your small talk. She says, well, I need to ask you a question, and I need you to be honest with me. Will you promise to be honest? I said, sure. I said, did you put money in that Bible you gave me on the beach? I said, no. Um, uh, no. I said, it was, it was a new Bible. Uh, no. She goes, well, I haven't been doing good for the last couple of years. Um, and a lot of things have happened in my life. And, um, and it just gets to this point where I'm about to be evicted from my apartment. She lives in Texas at this point. I said, okay. And she goes, I remember that time in the beach. I remember the Bible you gave me. And um, I have no idea why I packed it to go to college and start my life, but I did but it was at the bottom. She says, I dug through everything. I knew it was somewhere. Finally, at the bottom of my closet, right? Um, she says, I found it. She says, I opened it up, and there's enough money in that Bible to pay my rent. And I said, oh, Lindsay, um, I think God sees you, right? Um, but what did Lindsay do? Why did she dig for that Bible? She was returning to the word of God, something powerful that she experienced, right? And again, and, uh, I know Lindsay well, and, and I had two daughters, and uh, digging to a bottom of a young girl's closet is a, a, a monumental task, right? <laughs> right? You with me? <laughs> right? Uh, and so that she would do all that work to get to God's word and what God has to, what does God have to say about this situation? That's what David was doing. That's what he went to say, but God, what do you say about this? And what's incredible is this whole thing is filled with prophetic talking. And prophecy, you know, has three different elements to it. It's, it's, it's foretelling the future sometimes, right? Because uh, prophecy just means God's word. 
sometimes it is just proclaiming God's word over a person. Right? Uh, sometimes it's, it, it's simply teaching God's word, informing people about what God says. We don't know what was going here, but it was changing things, wasn't it? It was changing people's hearts and their lives. That's how powerful and faithful God is and his word is. And David knew that. And he knew he had a pastor or shepherd uh, that would speak God's word into him. Now here's the thing, all right, and what we learned from him, we all need a pastor and a shepherd. We are not to do this journey without someone guiding us. Now I'm not talking about the office of pastor. Now, your, your shepherd, someone pouring into you, um, might have the office of pastor. Wonderful, right? Good. Um, but guess what? Some of you are called to shepherd each other, to pour into each other. You might call it a mentor, a spiritual parent, the one discipling you. Lots of different phrases. But it's that person that you go to that you know will speak God's word into you. That lives out and exemplifies a walk with Jesus, it's real in their lives. You know it's not fake. And they'll call you into it. We all desperately need that in our pursuit of God. David needed it. So I want to look at just a couple attributes of a shepherd in our lives. And do you have this? And maybe you are this to some people. I actually think you should be one and have one. Let's look at this real quick. First of all, a shepherd leads you. And I went to John 10 because Jesus is called the good shepherd. He's called the chief shepherd. Some translations, the true shepherd, right? Uh, and any and everyone under that are what we call under shepherds, right? To the good shepherd. And John 10 is talking about Jesus, the good shepherd. And we see these qualities in the relationship and support that Samuel and David have. So a good shepherd leads you. Samuel is seen leading the company of prophets. That's a school of prophets. You know, call it a Bible school if you would. Um, and, uh, and he was shepherding them, leading them. A shepherd guides you and equips you to God's will. Point you to Christ, not themselves. He guides you to experience God personally and encourages you to grow spiritually. A shepherd leads you. A shepherd also feeds you. Right? It feeds you the word of God, right? as we already talked about, right? the future, what God's word means to you personally. What does God say to you? It helps you to learn God's word so that you can study God's word on your own. Also feeds you the way of God by example and expectations, as I talked about. It was interesting to watch the domino effect of God's word with Saul's men, right? All the way to Saul, the impact of this. Um, as they saw what God was doing, what they heard, and they began to say, this is what's going on here. It's interesting enough in the story of David, David actually takes a turn here. Uh, he will no longer fight in Saul's army. It actually is pivotal. So this scene of God's word being spoken is a shift in David's pursuit of God and his journey to the throne and the great spiritual leader of Israel. Also, a shepherd cares for you. I love Samuel took David with him. You look at verse um, 11 there, and what he does, excuse me, verse 18, he 
uh, David comes to Samuel and he takes him with him, protects him. He goes with him. He doesn't say, hey, here's some good words. He actually says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to meet your needs. Come with me. And they go to the school of prophets and where they're at. See, a shepherd helps meet your physical, emotional, and your spiritual needs. They protect you. They're active in your life. If they show up. Right? The great test of a great friend. They show up. They're there for you. And all of us need a shepherd and a pastor. So in, in next steps, as I, I land this idea of support, I'm going to invite Josh and, and Rocky to come out. We're going to do something a little different here, okay? Uh, our conclusion. Uh, it's going to be very practical. Okay, this is a time that... Uh, I'm going to invite you to take your cell phones out if you have them. Uh, if you don't have a cell phone or don't want to, um, take your pen. Um, if you don't want to do that, um, uh, allow me to speak into you for a moment and encourage you, okay? Is I want to make our response to today's message, this support in our pursuit, very practical, okay? Because you didn't get here by yourself. You know what I mean by that? Someone spiritually helped you. You know, some of those people may not be here today. You know, they may not be alive. Um, some of them may not be here physically, but they're here. They are people that either were your friends, maybe they're your spouse, um, maybe they're your pastor, the shepherd, that person that is ahead of you, leading you, guiding you in your walk with God. I want to encourage you, so I'm going to do the same thing. Uh, we're going to take a few minutes and these guys just play some music to take your phone, if you have it, and text them. Be bold. Say what is uncomfortable. Thank them. Encourage them for pouring into you spiritually and being your shepherd because they are critical and essential to your journey. If you're writing, just write a couple notes. Say, you know what, I'm going to thank this person. I'm going to talk to them. Great, write those notes down. If you're just going to uh, kind of sit back and think, ponder of all that they've done for you, how they poured into you. So let's, uh, Josh, you guys just play a little bit. Uh, grab your phones, however you're going to do it. Let's take a few minutes to put this into action right now. Let's don't wait. Uh, let's thank those people who are support for us in our pursuit of God.
know, in our spiritual journeys, um, I don't think we say enough. I think there's a lot of words in our culture, in our spiritual journeys, I think we are way too reserved. And one of the gifts of the Lord is encouragement, honesty, right? And I encourage you to use it. Uh, I pray for the messages sent uh, would be uh, encouragement to people who have poured into your life, may it be encouragement into you and would help take your support to them, from them at another level. Now, as I say and talk about support, some of you say, I'm lonely. I didn't know who to text. I didn't have anybody or they're way in the past. I don't have anybody today. Um, I want to encourage you, get connected, right? Get connected. Um, be brave. I listed all the spiritual benefits, um, all the physical benefits of being in community. It's what we were called to is to be family. We need each other. You need to be in community. That might just be one. You might be an introvert, but you need at least one. Might be an extrovert, might be many. I want to encourage you to be brave in that. And, and so here at North Shore, that's what our life groups are about. We, that's what we call them, life groups. They're not just simple places that you're going to go and someone's going to give you a, a message. Words of God. We, we expect them to talk about God's word, right? That's who we want to hear from. God. We, we want that carried in relationship and in love, in life. Because we need it. It's how the gospel transfers most powerful. It's how you will grow. And so if you aren't in a life group, you'll see a lot of people in these rust-colored shirts. I was supposed to wear mine. And I haven't found Greg to apologize to him. Uh, but this is a, was a wrinkle issue. So you would uh, judge me for having too wrinkly of a shirt, okay? Um, but I remembered you, Greg. I promised I'd wear it. Um, but look, it's uh, so wrinkly, right? You guys would have judged me forever, right? Um, uh, a life group. Church was never, ever, ever, as far as how God authored the church and called the church, to be a place you went once in a while to sing a song and hear a message. That's not church. That does not fit the definition. What church is, is a family. It loves you. You love them and you do life together, right? So if you aren't in a life group, one of these people in the rust-colored church, uh, you know, the next step table, even grab the connection card, right? Say, yeah, I, I want to I get connected. I want to be in a life group. And maybe it's not a life group. Maybe it's serving in a ministry. It's really about relationship, right? That you are in a relationship. That is what our calling is. This is just one of the most opportune time uh, moments in which people are um, intentional about being in a relationship and shepherding and caring for each other. So I want to invite you to stand. I'm just going to close in prayer this morning. Uh, love you guys. Appreciate you. Uh, let me pray over you. Father God, we love you. Thank you for providing support systems for us. Thank you for showing us through David's life um, all the support you gave him in his pursuit, all the people that came alongside him for this pursuit. Make that true of each person here. Make it true of me. 
that I'd have people in my life that would come alongside me, that I would come alongside people so that we could be everything that you'd have us to be and fulfill the mission that you have for our individual lives. So I pray, Father, if there's anybody, and I know as we speak about relationships and these things, uh, there's, there's pain hits that happen. I pray that you would comfort them, be with them, allow them not to sit in their pain alone, but reach out to one of these brothers and sisters here tonight uh, and just receive prayer, encouragement. We love you. Thank you for not leaving us alone, God, and sending your son, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, to be with us, to model that we need one another. Bless each person. Give them safety. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Love you. There's our prayer team up here. Need prayer. Uh, And we'll see you next week, North Shore.